0: So it was about this time a year ago when one of my children, when we were in the car together after one of our worship services, we were talking about the, the verse in scripture that we're going to read from in just a second, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It goes on to say that this child's names will be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And one of my children said to me, Dad, what do all those names for Jesus Mean? And I said, I kind of looked in the rearview mirror and I said, you know what? I don't know. But I've thought about it for about a year. And over the next several weeks together, we're going to be taking a deep dive into these couple phrases, really, two verses from the prophet Isaiah. And as is our custom, We'll be pairing our sermon text tonight with a reading from the New Testament, just our way of helping us see how ideas in the Bible connect from old to new to new to old. And um, April and Laurel will help us by reading tonight's um, text, so if you guys want to come up. A reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our New Testament reading tonight is First Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, we ask that you would do the thing, Lord, that only you can do. Lord, we ask by the power of your Spirit that you would take these words that are in your word, Lord, that you would take the words that I've prepared. Lord, would you use these words, would you shine light on them, would you shine light into dark places in our hearts, Lord, to stir up great hope tonight in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. So last week, I began by asking you Three questions. Tonight, rather than questions, I want to begin by proclaiming to you three precious truths. So here's the first one you can know that He knows. Here's the second one. You can let it go. And then the third one, you can be forgiven and free. So you can know that he knows you tonight are invited to let it go. And then thirdly, you can be forgiven and free. Tonight's sermon will take that shape. And as we walk our way through, I think there is one main thing that I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I hear, this is what you have to hear. Tonight in our sermon text, we are told about a child who will come to bear burdens, And the main thing I want you to hear tonight as we walk our way through this is Christ has come to bear it all for us. He's come to carry our burdens. Jesus is presented in this passage for tonight as the great burden bearer. And that just so happens to be all of your hope and my hope tonight. So here's how we will do this. First of all, we will talk about how Jesus has come to bear our humanity. Therefore, you can know that he knows. Second, we're going to learn that Jesus has come to take upon himself the governance, the ordering, the administration, if you will, of the universe. So you can actually let it go tonight. And then thirdly... All the language of the Bible when it comes to carrying and bearing all finds its way to its fullest fulfillment in the work of Christ on the cross for you and for me. So tonight you can be forgiven and free. So that's how we'll walk through this um, as we go in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, before I get into these two verses, specifically tonight, we're gonna get into just the first part of verse six. A child who's born, a son who's given, and the government being upon his shoulders. Before I get into that, I wanna just kind of catch you up as to what is happening in Isaiah chapter nine before these verses appear. So this is somewhat of an aside. Like literally in my notes, I have this part drawn in a box to the side, okay? So at this point in the prophet Isaiah, um, God's people are being oppressed. They're suffering under the cruelty of an ancient people called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are famously cruel. Whatever the worst human governmental regime that's cruel that you can imagine, the Assyrians were the ancient version of that. In the British Museum, there's ancient Assyrian works of art, and it just shows them dragging off captives with hooks in their noses. They would literally drag people out of cities with hooks in their noses. They had these tyrannical and, and grandiose, narcissistic leaders and rulers. God's people are suffering under the pain of the Assyrians. In Isaiah chapter 9, promises are made that first of all, God will defeat the Assyrians. Secondly, he will rob them of their weapons. Like they won't be able to hurt anymore. What's really, really interesting is the way in which he'll do this. It will not be by being even more cruel than they were because that's what we would do. It would not be by being more desperately angry than they ever were, because that's what we would do. Instead, we're told, he would defeat them with the child. See, it's a strange way. It's a strange way to rule the world The Bible teaches us over and over that God's ways are not our ways. And we've learned that this child, because of the names he's given, they're like divine names. So he won't just be a human child. He'd be a divine child at the same time. And this child, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there to you, is Jesus. And that's how we'll focus in the weeks that are to come. So let's take a look. Christ has come to bear... Our humanity. Look, at, with, look with me at verse 6 of chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. So again, the Lord's answer to the cruelty of God's enemies, God's answer to the evil and to the darkness, the way in which he will defeat evil and darkness is with extreme tenderness and vulnerability. It's just the way that God typically works in the world. He defeats darkness with light. He, de- he defeats the power of sin with love and sacrifice. And one thing we learn about Christ is that he comes and he comes as a child. He subjects himself To the human experience Jesus is born he's born the same way all of us are born there's nothing more basic and more primal and more raw and more human than a birth some of you know exactly what I'm talking about room 311 at St. Vincent's hospital when my first child was born was a wild war zone trust me And the God of the universe subjects himself to the raw, primal birth experience. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian thinker, said that this is actually the greatest miracle of all. Once you take it into your imagination that God could take on human skin and be born as a baby, the rest of it becomes a lot easier to accept. When he subjects himself to the human experience of birth, he also subjects himself to human limitation. The scripture sees that he emptied himself in some ways. That means things like this. Physically, he became hungry and had to eat in order to have strength to do the things that he needed to do, just like you and me. Physically, he became weary and tired. He had to rest. He had to go to sleep. Physically, he became thirsty. Physically, he endured pain. Stands the reason he would have caught a cold. He would have pulled muscles. He'd become sore. He would have aged. He lived a physical human experience, but the scriptures go on to say that he tasted even more than that that in becoming a child, and becoming a human person, that he experienced something of relational pain. He knew what it was like to feel deeply, deeply lonely. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected by friends. He knew what it was like to feel stress, deep stress. He knew what it was like to have people around him who would emotionally manipulate situations in order to harm him. He was alike to be gossiped about, to be slandered, to have his reputation destroyed. He would eat feasts, and he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. The Bible teaches that he tasted human temptation. That he was tempted in every way that you and I were, yet without succumbing to the temptation, without succumbing to sin. There might be somebody in here tonight who's so completely overwhelmed by temptation. And you could say to me, Joel, you have no idea how hard it is for me to or to not fill in the blank. And I could say back to you, you're right, I might not, but Jesus does know that. I've said this to you guys from this pulpit hundreds of times. But if you could sit down with Jesus and explain to Him your exact situation, He could listen and look back at you and say to you, "I know." I was talking with a really, really close friend very recently, and I was explaining something that's really just ha- just has me worried or stressed and troubled. And this friend looked at me and said, "I understand how that feels." So, you need comfort, isn't it? But what I'm trying to get you to see is that Christ experiences that and feels that for you infinitely more. And we learn that He is given to us. Son to us, a Son is given. A Son is given to us as a gift. Always remember that Christ is a gift to us before He's anything else. See, when Jesus came to take upon himself our human experience, it assures us that we can know that he knows. Whatever that thing is tonight, Jesus knows. He understands. Secondly... Look with me again at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders or his shoulder. This means more that Jesus came and he will eventually rule as king, that he does indeed rule as king. Even now it means something even thicker than that. What it means is that Jesus Christ has taken on his back, his shoulder, the governance of everything in the universe at all times, and in all places. He's taken that upon himself. Can you imagine the pressure of that? Can you? I feel a lot of pressure about being sort of in charge of the little things I'm in charge of. But Christ has taken the weight of the pressure of running the universe entirely upon himself. Y'all, I'm a pastor, and when you're a pastor, it means your primary work is with people. And because you're a pastor and your primary work is with people, lots of people want you to take personality tests all the time. So you can understand your personality, you can understand the congregation's personality, and so you can know how to navigate things, okay? And these tests are helpful as far as they go. I think they're somewhat limited. That literally is another talk for another day. But in one of these personality assessments, one time I learned that there is a particular kind of personality that just really needs to know who's in charge, that they instinctively walk into any situation and begin trying to size up who's in charge here? Who's in control here? Because if no one else is in charge or in control here, I'm willing to be in charge and in control here. I'll take it on. And see, this, this kind of personality, at the end of the day, this extreme desire to know exactly who's in charge, really masks somewhat of a deeper fear. Deeper worry, a deeper ache. Then maybe no one's in charge here. See, in Christ's coming, as a child, in His commitment to put the government of all things on His shoulders, means that to that question, "Who's in charge here?" Really seriously, who's in charge here? The loud and clear answer of this season is, Jesus is. About 10 years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, and this friend of mine was struggling in a particular parenting issue or concern, and the problem was this. This friend of mine's daughter was beginning to have these kind of uncontrollable, obsessive thoughts. And specifically, the obsessive thoughts was that somehow, this is 10 or so years ago, she would get sick and die, or she would have germs come and infect her, and she would not be able to be well again, or she'd catch some sort of terrible disease. And this poor young child was beginning to obsess over this. She was beginning to wash her hands just incessantly because she was so fearful and so worried. And this friend of mine was saying that they had like, tried everything. They'd taken her to visit her pediatrician, all these kinds of things. And at a certain point, the mother, my friend said, listen, I'm going to make up the name. Listen, Jane, I understand what it's like to be scared too. But why don't you let mama shoulder that for you? Why don't you let me carry that for you? Why don't you not worry about it because I'm going to be worrying about it? And the eight-year-old little fears began to melt away. Now, by the way, we're all adult versions of our eight-year-old fears, are we not? And the fears don't melt away as easily when you're an adult. But if Jesus has taken the government of all things upon his shoulders, it means that the move of the life of faith can move from this... This. Now, if Jesus has taken the government of all things upon his shoulders, that also means that the life of faith will actually be a life of faith because it will require us to trust that more is going on than we can see. That he's always working, that he's never not working, that despite how things appear, He's doing more than what seems immediately obvious to us. It also means that the life of faith will instinctively, intrinsically, automatically, by default, be a waiting life. Because we still await in his perfect governance of all things, we still await his second coming, his second advent when he will come to make all things new and right. The Christian life will be a waiting life. One last thing about Jesus and the government sitting upon his shoulders. And I'm gonna paraphrase the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. He wrote a beautiful reflection on this government on the shoulders idea and he just basically made the point that every other human king you know of rules by putting everything on the shoulders and the backs of the people. But you see the way this king rules is by taking everything upon his own back. In other words, if Jesus has taken on his shoulders the governance and the ordering and the administration of the universe, what that means is that you tonight can let it go. You don't have to rule the world. You don't have to be so afraid. so you can know that he knows you can let it go and then thirdly and finally anytime we get language in the bible of anybody carrying anything when we get language in the bible of someone putting something on their back someone bearing something all of that language finds its fullest fulfillment in the work of Jesus on the cross for us. So there's another place in Isaiah that says that he carries our griefs and our sorrows. And right there, it's talking about specifically the griefs and sorrows we have with regard to our sin. See, throughout the pages of the Scripture, at least one image that the Bible will use to describe sin is like a burden that we get saddled with, that we have to carry around with us. And isn't that the way we experience it? See, if you're like me, and you might not be, but if you're like me, there are things that you have done. And if you're like me, there are things that you have left undone. And if you're like me, sometimes those things continue to haunt you. See, but you heard it read a second ago that in his own body, Jesus carries our sin so that by his wounds we can be healed we learn in the scriptures that Jesus carries our shame. There's a reason why Jesus when he goes to the cross gives his life so publicly, so embarrassingly, stripped naked and killed because he needed to fulfill the full weight of shame. So you and I are tempted to think that the worst thing about us is the truest thing about us. And it's not. Christ bears those things for you and for me, and I know, for me, when I'm haunted by those things that I've done and left undone, when I'm carrying those along like a like a weight, it's it's in those places that Satan whispers to me loudest. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've stood up here to preach things and I hear Satan whispering to me, things. And in the face of Satan's accusation, you know what the right response actually is? It is to, in so many words, say to Satan, so? My hope in life and in death is that I belong, body and soul, to Jesus. And he has paid for my sins so fully and has freed me from the tyranny of the devil. So in Christ's coming, we can know that he knows. In Christ's coming... You can know tonight that you can let it go. And in Christ's coming as a child to be born, to put things on his shoulders, you can know that you can be forgiven and free. All of this is available to you in the person and work of Jesus. There's nothing else. This is the whole thing.